So we are <clears throat> we're going to study uh, Philippians today. I'm going to concentrate on um, verses four through nine, but I'm going to read. Uh, and do a little bit of commenting all the way back to Philippians 3, uh, verse 20. So we'll read <coughs> Philippians 3, 20 through 4, 9. Philippians 3, 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and Synthica to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. <clears throat> the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This uh, passage in Scripture contains some of the uh, most comforting words uh, in Scripture, uh, and some of the uh, phrases are often uh, put on plaques, and you'll see them quite frequently uh, on walls of people's homes. You might see verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And you might see verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's very common and useful for preachers and teachers to preach on those particular verses or subsections of uh, other parts of those passages. The passage is very rich and deep. Uh, my concentration today will be a high-level flyover of all of it because I think that as we uh, look at it in a larger context, there are lessons there that we can gain from the larger context that might be overlooked if we simply look at those specific uh, verses without their context. So I readily admit that uh, one could spend a lot of time on multiple lessons and multiple, if you were a preacher, multiple sermons on the, the uh, doctrines and the uh, comforting applications in this passage. <coughs> so I am going to be going through it at a 
fairly fast pace at a high level. Uh, but I'm hoping that uh, as we do that at a larger context, that there might be some insights given to us that are, are not commonly given. Uh, we do have a little bit on the historical background about Philippians. Philippi was uh, the first church plant in uh, Europe, what we would call Europe today, and, and would be Greece today. <clears throat> and it is documented uh, in Acts 16, again, uh, another trip in Acts 20. But um, Paul and his little group of missionaries were called there by a special vision from the Lord uh, saying, basically, come and help us over in Macedonia. And from that, Paul and his little missionary group went over and ended up first in Philippi. And if you remember in Acts 16, they didn't find any people, I guess, at the synagogue. I don't know if there was a synagogue, but they ended up going to the river. And they, there was a gathering of ladies there, primarily. And uh, it was there that we have the story of Lydia. Uh, subsequently, we have the story of Paul casting out the, the demon of the girl uh, following them. After days, he got frustrated and cast her out. And then it, that ended them up in uh, he and Silas in jail, flogged. Uh, and then we have the story of the Philippian jailer. So we have that a uh, little bit of uh, background there. Uh, the Philippian church was very dear and near to Paul. Um, and we see that in uh, the first verse. I will, I will make a comment about the uh, last verses of chapter 3 as we move forward here. <clears throat> but first let's look at um, again at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, I long to, who I long to see my joy and crown in this way I stir, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So the sentence there, the core of it is, therefore, stand firm in the Lord. And the linkage there is not so profound. You don't have to pay me much to tell you this, but it's linking us back to what was said in the last verses of uh, chapter three, when it says, therefore, stand firm in the Lord. It's referring back to what was uh, spoken of by Paul in the last verses of chapter 3, uh, which speak to your citizens in heaven right now, and you are looking forward to the resurrection of, Jesus, of yourself in Jesus Christ by His power. So it is those truths that uh, cause Paul to say, therefore, know who you are, therefore stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that that therefore standing firm in the hope of the resurrection and knowing that we're citizens of heaven is the background for all of these admonitions and commands that come uh, following in uh, the first part of Philippians 4 there. So having, you know, having covered that meaning of therefore, I just want to make one quick application of verse 1. <clears throat> You'll notice that Paul uh, speaks to them in very endearing ways. He said, uh, my beloved, I long, who I long to see, my joy and my crown, and my beloved again. Paul really loved these people, and he's telling them some important things here, and so he's making sure that they understand how much he loves them, how much he really cares for them, so that they'll pay attention and get these lessons. And I think there's a good application for us in that, too, as we have relationships with people and we want to influence them, it has to come from 
that heart of love and we have to tell them, you know, if we've got hard issues to deal with with people, uh, it needs to come from a state of love and it needs to be expressed to them so that they understand where your heart is. And I think Paul sets an excellent example there for us. So he's saying, in the Lord Jesus, in that fact that you are now citizens of heaven, that you look forward to that hope of resurrection, stand firm. Do not sway in any way. Stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> and I want to uh, just take a real high-level look uh, again at this point of what's going on in this section. Because as we speak about in Christ and Paul's love for these people, I want you to look back at the uh, passage with me. I'm going to just skip through some verses here, but I want you to see from a high-level perspective, one, there's a lot of admonitions. We could call them commands. They are imperatives. They are commands. Rejoice in the Lord is a command. Be not anxious is a command. But they're in a context of the gospel, of, uh, of a loving Father who's giving these commands, and He's giving you the ability to do these things. Uh, so just a quick scan back at those verses. Look, First off, we see the connection between God's relationship and ours in that last couple of verses in chapter 3 in that He has made us citizens and that we are going to be resurrected. <clears throat> and then it goes on in verse 1 and it says, you notice, stand firm in the Lord. Verse 2, it says, live in harmony in the Lord. Verse Three, it says your names are in the book of life, which is just another way of saying you're in the Lord. Uh, verse 4 starts off with rejoice in the Lord. And it goes on in verse 5 and says the Lord is near. In verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard you. And then it goes on in verse 7 again and it says in Jesus Christ at the end of verse 7. And then at the end of verse 9, it says, And the God of peace will be with you. So, my point here is, and I, you need to keep this in mind as we go through here, all of these admonitions, all these teachings that Paul has given, is he's given it to them because they are in the Lord. They are in a tight relationship with Jesus Christ, their Lord. And in that tight relationship with Him, they are given the ability to do these things. Not only the ability to do them, but the heart's desire to do them. Uh, the, the, the desire to be joyous in the Lord. The desire to not be anxious. So keep that in mind as we go forward that uh, it's this very tight relationship that Paul is teaching here that we have in Jesus Christ from which all these uh, admonitions come. So going on there, and I'm going to go through verse 2 and 3 very quickly. Uh, I urge Euodia and Synthica to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There's a lot of opinions, most opinions from commentators are that these ladies were having some kind of a contention uh, and that Paul is calling them here to live in harmony. 
Uh, I'm not totally convinced that that's true. I don't believe that it, there's a whole lot of evidence here that they were in heavy contention. The words in the translations often drive us that direction. Um, but the, my, my translation says you should live in harmony in the Lord in verse 2, but I think a better translation is probably be of the same mind. And that same wording is used in Romans 15.5, which says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. So in that example, he's calling them to be of the same mind, but he's not saying, implying in that that they're contentious. Uh, <clears throat> now, they, these ladies may have been in contention. I'm not sure. Uh, but apparently... They were two strong personalities in the church, and perhaps they were in contention. May, I'll, I'll grant that. Perhaps they had separate house ministries, separate uh, uh, church house homes that they were supporting like Lydia did. I'm not sure. But the point here that I think is critical for us to see is that Paul is calling them and uh, this um, true companion, which we are not given the identity of, as well as Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, they're to work in unity. So if there is contention, they're to get rid of it. If they're already working in unity, then Paul is urging them to uh, continue that work. Why? Again, the foundationally is because all of you are named in the book of life. In other words, you're in Christ Jesus. So why would we have contention or why would we not be pulling in unity uh, if we're all in Christ? Christ is the center. His mission is the mission, not our mission. And <clears throat> as an elder, I think I, I can say over the years that uh, quite often when contentions happen, it's because people are struggling to uh, work in the gospel and push forward in the gospel, but they have, maybe have different views on what mission work or whatever might need to be done. You don't you normally get contentions from people who are inactive. You get contentions from people who are active. Uh, and so <clears throat> what, you, what we always do, and you get that, uh, you know, I, I'll admit it, in my own marriage. When there's contentions in my own marriage, why is that? Well, it's because Jim Baird, most likely it's Jim, not Vicki, but it most, it's because Jim is pulling his direction and uh, he's, he's forgotten that Christ is center. Is this what Christ wants us to do? Uh, so whenever there's contention, the uh, foundational direction that a counselor ought to say is, are you doing this for Christ? Are both of you doing this for Christ? What would Christ have both of you to do? And <clears throat> that's what is really the focus here, I believe, throughout this passage, but in particular here. All these people need to be pulling in the same direction, not because they don't have great talents over here, over here, over here, or different ideas that are worthy of consideration, but everybody needs to say, okay, I'll give a little bit here because Christ is the center, not me. Christ is the one that needs to be stating <coughs> what this direction needs to be in our marriage, in our church, whatever it is. Um, I'm going to just pass through that then and uh, not say any more about that for time purposes. Go on to verse 4. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a twofold, it's a command, it's an imperative. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not quite the same as thou shalt not kill imperative, is it? 
It's a rejoice imperative. It's kind of like taking a bunch of kids to a amusement park and uh, they've never been before and they're seeing all this stuff they want to do. They're just chomping at the bit to get out and you say, go have fun. Well, that's a command, but it's not quite the same command as don't kick your brother's shins, you know. This, this, this is a command that's supposed to be coming from a recognition of who we are in the Lord, a love of the Lord. And he's saying, rejoice. If you're not rejoicing, he's saying, do you remember your citizen in heaven? Do you remember that your hope is I'm going to resurrect your body and you're going to live with me forevermore? So what Paul is saying here and throughout this passage is if we don't have rejoicing, and we're going to say this again when we have anxiety, if we don't have it, it's because we haven't meditated fully on who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have let other things, worldly things, get in the way of that realization <coughs> that um, we should always be rejoicing in the Lord, and we can always rejoice in the Lord if we know and remember who we are in the Lord. Um, and Paul sets an example. He talks about in verse 9, following my example. Uh, I just mentioned that very quickly, that Paul sets these examples for us. He was persecuted terribly uh, in his ministry. And we remember even in the Philippian jail, he was flogged. You remember what they did that night? He and Silas were singing hymns. They were, they were rejoicing even in the time of being in a dank, dark uh, dungeon having been flogged. <clears throat> and many examples could be given. But the point here is that true joy is not circumstance-driven. True joy is recognizing who we are in Christ. And, who, and when we recognize who we are in Christ, then <clears throat> circumstances don't drive joy in that regard. Now, we don't ignore circumstances. They hurt. They cause tears. Uh, they're painful. And we're not saying that, but we're saying that we can have that spiritual joy in Jesus Christ no matter what the circumstances are. That's what Paul taught us repeatedly. Um, an example, uh, another scriptural example of his teaching that comes from Romans 5, uh, 1 through 5, where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we joy in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also joy in our tribulations, knowing that tribu tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So there again, you see Paul rooting joy, not in the circumstances. He's saying here there's going to be trials and tribulations, but he's rooting it in who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Spurgeon said on this topic, after building up the biblical truth of the awfulness of sin so that we would see the wonder of uh, the glory of Christ. He says, if sin be put away, then peace is lawful. Then peace of our spirits becomes not only a blessing which we may enjoy, but which we must enjoy, and which the more we enjoy it, the better we shall please our God. That's an important point, right? The Lord is glorified 
when we enjoy him, when we enjoy that relationship that he has created in us. And he's not happy. That's why he's commanding us here to be joyful. He's not happy with our behavior. When we go around letting circumstances drive our joy. Okay, now verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I think these are related. I think rejoicing is called for. I think being called to be gentle is, is related to that. And I think uh, being called not to be anxious. They're all connected. They're not separated. <coughs> uh, different commentators take a different opinion on this. Uh, uh, some say that the statement, the Lord is near, let your gentle uh, spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near, is taken to be kind of a warning, saying, I'm, I'm warning you, the Lord's near, He will judge you if you uh, uh, are not gentle. I don't believe that that's true. It's not according to the tenor, tenor of the passage here. <coughs> and what it's talking about, I believe, I'm following Calvin on this one, uh, he believes that they were under a fair amount of persecution in that church. They were small. They were, if you read back in the uh, earlier chapters of Philippians, you'll see that they had the uh, false circumcision all around them. They were a small group inside of a pagan city. And so what Calvin thinks, and what I agree, is that he's calling them to be gentle, reasonable, kind, charitable, generous, even against the persecutors. Uh, why? Because they can, because the Lord is near to comfort them, to strengthen them. Uh, just like the rest of the passage is talking about. Yes? Yeah. Right. Right. And I think, I think consistent with what we're going here is that it's so the Lord will be glorified and that uh, these people were told they can do this. You can be gentle because the Lord is near. The Lord is with you to strengthen you. <clears throat> I'm moving pretty quickly here because I haven't got to the main points yet. <clears throat> Verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to deal with this with a high level. Patrick has preached on this. I went out and listened to him. Uh, he's, so if you want details, uh, go listen to Patrick. Uh, but I'm going to touch on this at a high level, hopefully giving you some insights that maybe uh, you don't see when you uh, hear the passages spoken of independently. Um, clearly, this text is telling us <clears throat> that there is a type of worry, a type of anxiety that is dishonoring to God. And it's pretty simple. It's not complex. It's the type of anxiety in which you're not trusting God in the circumstances. <clears throat> it is okay for me to, quote, unquote, worry about my kids in a way that I, I make sure when I was raising them, I would make sure they were doing safe things on the playground equipment. There, there's a type of worry which is okay. In fact, uh, earlier in, I think it's chapter 2, the same Greek word is used uh, in a positive way where one person was worried about the church members, anxious. <coughs> so it's not always negative, but most of the time in the Bible it is negative. And it uh, is brought out by the Lord himself uh, in Matthew 6. 
uh, verse 31, 33, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. <clears throat> so I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time um, trying to defend the position that this is a sinful type of worry. I think that's probably obvious. Uh, it's, a, it's a type of worry in which I'm trying to fix my problem. My pride says, I can do this. I need to worry about this instead of trusting the Lord. So that's the real core issue. Trusting the Lord must replace trusting ourselves. And the prayer is, uh, the instructions about prayer is multifaceted and it warrants deeper study but just at a high level here, it's meant to be fervent. It's meaning it's supposed to be open-hearted, like David prayed so many times in the psalm. Tell the Lord what's really on your heart in a, in a respectful, reverent manner, but tell the truth. To speak to the Lord about what is really concerning you. Be specific. It's not general comments, but it's specific request. It needs to come with thanksgiving, which implies a humility, doesn't it? When we, when we come with a thankful heart, the implication is that we are humble before the Lord because it's He that has <coughs> given us so much in the past. But here's the key, one of the keys is we need to be thankful even for this trial that's causing anxiety. Can we do that? When we, when we have anxiety due to a trial, this is telling us we have to be thankful even for the trial. Why? Because we know the Lord brings trials for the purpose of sanctifying us, uh, maturing us in the faith. And we know, I'm not going to take time to read it, but uh, we, if you want one particular reference, James uh, chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 there. And then the promise is, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Again, we see in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, uh, which is core here. We see similar language about the incomprehensibility of uh, God's <clears throat> love in Ephesians 3, uh, 17 through 19, and I'll just read 19 there, there. It says, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so what this is talking about is a peace that man can't give. There's our, our brothers and our sisters go through terrible trials and we want to comfort them. Uh, and we go and try to speak comforting words. We speak scripture. We give them a hug on the shoulder. But only God gives them a hug in the heart. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that uh, provides this peace which is beyond our comprehension because it's the Holy Spirit doing the work in the heart of those that are in trial. <clears throat> and so it's a promise uh, by God that he will, quote unquote, hug their heart. He will then guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like a military picture. There's a sentry standing at that gate and he will not let the enemy in. So God gives us peace and then he stands guard and he will not let the anxieties, the worries come back in. That's what it's uh, talking about when it says he will guard your heart. Hendrickson on this says the man of trust and prayer has entered that impregnable, impregnable <laughs> citadel 
from which no one can dislodge him. And the name of the fortress is Christ Jesus. Okay, so at this point, and really I'm kind of getting to the core of what I wanted to get at in a way. Um, I was reading Jay Adams on this, and, and it was like a light went off. I hope the light will go off for you too. Uh, <clears throat> quite often people get to this point and they pray. And they pray fervently. They pray, pray openly. They pray specifically. And they pray with thanksgiving. You ask them, uh, did you do this? And they come back and say, yes, uh, but I'm still anxious. I still worry. It comes back. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but it, it is a true reality if you counsel people that uh, worry just keeps coming back, keeps coming back. And you pray and it keeps coming back. And Dr. Adams would say, well, did you follow the rest of the verses? Did you follow their commands? And they say, what verses? He says, oh, I know what your problem is. You've got placitis. <clears throat> What's placitis? He says, well, it's a spiritual problem, but we know how to fix it. Placitis is where you're getting, getting all your scriptural data from a plaque on the wall of specific verses. <clears throat> and he says, we need to include the context here. Uh, the, the chapter goes on into verse 8 and 9. And he, he has this, I'm going to have to do this very quickly, but if you've ever read J. Adams, you'll know that he has this concept, which is biblical, that says sinful habits need to be put off, and you can't just put them off and stop. You have to put new ones on. You have to fill the void. If you don't fill the void, then they just keep coming back. And it's biblical. I'm going to give you a few. I can give you many, but I'll give you just a few scriptural references for that. <clears throat> the concept being you have to put off sinful things and you have to put on in their place uh, godly things. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness, that's the putting off, and put on the armor of light, that's the putting on. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, <clears throat> That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, that's the putting off, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed <clears throat> in the spirit of your mind and put on, that's the putting on, of the new self, which is the likeness of God has, who has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. And you, uh, you could also look at um, Colossians 3, 9 through 10, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2, for another example of this concept. It's a biblical concept, put off and put on. So how does that relate to what we're talking about here? Dr. Adams would say, he did say in his commentary, that we are to put off anxiety, we are to put off non-rejoicing lifestyles, we are to put off five, and we are to put on air, which is what uh, this verse in particular is talking about, but we are to go on and we are to put on what follows in verse 8 and 9. And what follows in verse 8 and 9 are two main concepts. Put new thoughts into your mind. And Dr. Adams would say, take a piece of paper. He would actually make his counselees do this. Take a piece of paper, and you're going to list out 20 things that fit under the categories in verse 8 so that you can pull them out of your pocket when you're starting to have anxiety and or when you're not rejoicing, you're going to start reading those. You're going to train your mind to do these things. 
and then you're also going to put in practice in your body, in your uh, uh, spirit and physical body, the practices of serving in the church, feeding people, uh, reading scripture, coming to church, attendance, all those things. So <clears throat> that is part of the putting on. So let's do a quick look at, we're out, almost out of time, but putting on continues, not only the prayer in verse 7, but the putting on of the right mind in verse 8 is think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So how do you do that? And I didn't have time to make out a list, but I think you can find those things you can find them in creation, the beauties, the wonders of creation. You can find them in your relationships with your Christian brothers and sisters and your families, the things of beauty. But especially you can find them in Scripture. I, I was thinking, not recently, I taught on Psalm 23. He makes me lay down in green pastures. That's a, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? He leads me beside still waters. Those are wonderful thoughts. I also taught previously on Psalm uh, 103, where he, it talks about he uh, forgives all of our sins. He protects our lives. So there's, there's much. Uh, the point here is that it comes out of your scriptural studies. If you're deep in the scriptures, start writing down occasionally these lofty thoughts that you learn from scriptures so that you can pull them out of your pocket when you're uh, starting to feel discouraged, you're starting to feel anxious, you're for starting to forget who you are a citizen of heaven, and that you have this wonderful hope, <clears throat> and discipline your minds to think about these things. That's what Paul's telling us to do here. But I think most importantly, I said we could get them out of scriptures and other places, but it really is a picture of Christ, isn't it? When you think about it, these things that are <clears throat> true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, we're talking about uh, at the core, we're talking about Christ. So Studying Christ in the Gospels uh, is an excellent way to come up with this list and to think about these things. And then finally, verse 8, and I realize I'm not covering this great, but uh, you all can study it. But verse 9 calls for, beyond getting your mind right, as in verse 8, it says, put it into practice. Put it into practice. So are you a worrier? Do you have anxieties? Discipline your mind, and then go discipline your body and your soul together to serve, to put it into practice like Paul served. We have different talents. That may mean different things for different people. It could mean fixing meals for the sick. It could mean go visiting the elderly. But basically, it's putting into practice, getting busy serving God's people. And the anxieties will flow away. That's, that's the promise. The last part of the promise of that verse, it says... If you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. So the God of peace will be with you. That's a promise. Okay, questions, comments? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. <clears throat> we ask that you'd help us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers. I uh, pray that you would uh, help us to be a people who <coughs> show forth the light of Christ in the world as we are a people who are uh, truly rejoicing because of who you are and what you've done for us. 
uh, people who are not anxious as the world is anxious and a people who can show gentleness even in the time of persecution because we are in Christ. <clears throat> we pray now that as we uh, go before you in worship that you'd help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Uh, be especially with Ryan as he preaches your word that you'd give him uh, guidance by the Holy Spirit that he might preach uh, according to your word. Open our ears that we might hear and understand and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.